unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my
I know we are dealing with a storm tonight and our number's somewhat down, but uh, it's nice and dry in here. We're glad you're here. And uh, hopefully you're going to leave here a better person after having studied God's word. And if you are uh, visiting with us tonight, we are deeply honored that you've come our way. We're glad that you're here. We want you to come back as often as you can. We'll meet Sunday morning at 930 for our worship service, and we'll have Bible classes for all ages uh, at 5 o'clock. So we'd love to have you come back then. Uh, as you can tell, we don't have a bulletin tonight, and uh, that's unforeseen circumstances. Jimmy has been under the weather but uh, we want to remember all those that are sick in our prayers. Uh, I know Sister Lynn Barragona is scheduled to have some shoulder replacement surgery tomorrow in Tupelo. Uh, I think Merle Crow uh, had carpal tunnel uh, surgery yesterday. And of course, our brother Ben Roberts is uh, down with his back. And we want to remember those specifically, but there are others that we know that need our prayers. We need to remember those that have lost loved ones. I'm going to just mention this as well. You probably know this, but uh, both the Boonville girls and the guys advanced to the state championship game on Saturday. So that's quite an accomplishment. And if they can end up with the same results as today, then uh, they will, will have repeated. So uh, we've got some of our folks involved in that and uh, we congratulate them. Uh, the Christian Education Scholarship Fundraiser is scheduled for this Sunday night. Everyone's invited and encouraged to attend the Chili and Soup Fellowship Meal uh, Sunday evening following our classes. Uh, this will be an effort to raise money for our Christian Education Scholarship Fund. Uh, the visitation team and scholarship committee will provide the food. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Uh, please uh, sign that list if you can bring something. Uh, for that. Also, our food pantry will be opening a week from tomorrow, but we are in need of cooking oil. If you could bring an item like that uh, for our food pantry, it would be much appreciated. That's all the announcements that I have tonight. Uh, for our devotional, Drew Bruce will be leading our singing, and Brother J.T. Beard will dismiss us in prayer. Invitation song tonight will be 904. 904 will be our invitation song if you want to mark that at this time. 904. <clears throat> Before our lesson tonight, we'll sing 867. 867. We'll sing the first and last verse. 867. Hands lamp, I'm on my way. <clears throat> To
course, is March 1st. It's a day that is forever etched in my memory. It's hard for me to believe that 16 years have gone by uh, since the tornado uh, hit Enterprise, Alabama. It claimed the lives of about eight young people, including uh, one very close to us, uh, 16-year-old Katie Strunk. Uh, the Strunks had worshipped with us at Delrada before he took a coaching job uh, down there, and so they had been down uh, at Enterprise for about a year and a half or so, and Katie was a very good friend of my daughter. She spent time at their house, and uh, she would come to our house, and they really spent a lot of time together before they moved to Enterprise. Now, Katie and Holly would have graduated uh, together in 2009, but, you know, Katie's life was cut short some two years earlier. The reason I'm sharing this reflection with you tonight is to kind of uh, to get us all to think about what's really important in life. I came across today and I was very impressed with the observations that Holly made on her Facebook page about Katie about two years after her death back in 2009. Uh, it touched my heart deeply and I was reminded of this post today. Keep in mind, this is a my daughter, a high school senior, reflecting on uh, Katie's life as well. It says, two years, Sunday, March 1st, 2009. It says, today marks the second year that we are all dearly missing you, Katie. It would be your senior year, and I'm sure you would be dying to move out of your parents' house and on to bigger and better things. Here are some things that you are missing out on that I know that you would have loved to experience. I will think of you and remember you when doing all of these things myself, taking senior pictures, going to junior senior banquet, filling out scholarship applications, ordering graduation invitations, ordering cap and gowns, stressful classes and tests, graduation, finding a roommate. And then she says, I know all these things were so important to you and I would like to think that you're truly missing out on these things. However, I know that in actuality, I'm envious of you right now because you're experiencing things that I can only dream of. Eternal sunshine, never-ending praise, no worries, no sorrows, no tears, no loneliness, a faith that is now reality, everlasting peace, a starry crown, being able to talk with people like Abraham and Paul. If I could choose to leave all of the stuff that I'm currently experiencing and immediately receive all the wonderful and supernatural and amazing things that you are, I would definitely choose to be where you are. I have no doubt that you would make the same choice as well. Knowing that you are in a better place comforts me and helps me push forward. I just think that's an excellent commentary on what the true perspective of a Christian ought to be in this life. When we read about the Hall of Fame of the Faithful in Hebrews chapter 11, we read about individuals who were looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and ruler is God. Tonight I want to ask you, what are you seeking? 
As you examine your priorities in life, as you examine your attitude, where is your true focus? Is it on the here and the now? Or are you focused every day on being more like Jesus? It may be tonight that there's someone here who needs to obey the gospel. You've been thinking about it, but up until now, you put that decision off. Tonight, you may need to come demonstrating your faith in Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins, confessing his name, and being immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Or maybe tonight you've lost that focus. You haven't been as faithful as you need to be. Maybe you need to come tonight and acknowledge wrongs, repenting of those things that are wrong, and asking God to forgive you in prayer. And so tonight, if you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing fire? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His graces? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washing the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are you harmless? Spotless are they snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? While our teachers are making way in your classes, We'll sing one verse of 711, Blessed Be the Tithe. And then JT will lead us up. Prayer first? Okay. Would you please bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, we're so very thankful to you for the blessings of life. We know that you shower down on us blessings every day that we're unaware of and we're, we're so very thankful that you do love us enough to do the things that you do for us. We're especially thankful that you loved us enough to send Christ to come and die, that we could have remission of our sins and be a part of your family here. And we're thankful, Father, for the family that's gathered tonight to study your word. We pray, Father, you would be with all of us as we study, especially be with those that are directing the studies. Give them a good recollection of the things they've prepared to say. And help us always to uh, apply the things that we learn to our lives that we might be better servants of yours in the future than we have in the past. We're aware, Father, of, of so many that are sick, those that, are, that have had surgery, those that are anticipating surgery, those that are 
have lost loved ones. We know that you know who they are, and we pray, Father, that you would be with them and uh, comfort them as, as only you can. We're also aware of those that have uh, been in Jackson, going to Jackson, and will later be returning uh, home from Jackson. We pray, Father, that you would keep them safe as they journey to and from there. We pray now, Father, that you would uh, go with us as we do go to our classes. Forgive us when we do wrong and help us to live better. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Well, again, good, good evening to you all uh, on this Wednesday evening, March 1st, and especially uh, despite the weather, it's good to see uh, so many of you here with us. And we also want to say welcome to all who are viewing online via Facebook and YouTube. Welcome to you as well, and we hope that you will soon be able to come and visit with us in person as well. We'll go ahead uh, this evening and we will be working our way through Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 is where we will find ourselves this evening. And while you are turning there, of course, to set some context to help maybe make this make a little more sense to us, in chapters 2 and 3, as we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, Paul has laid forth the groundwork and the argument showing that all, Gentile and Jew alike, are guilty of sin. And then he's beginning to reveal what can be done, or has been done rather, to remedy that. And to further establish that here in chapter 4, he is going to use the example of Abraham, and we'll be looking at and referencing some Old Testament uh, passages as well to set some more context to this. Uh, but before we do that, as always, I would like to 
take a moment and to begin in a brief word of prayer. So if you would, please bow with me and then we'll begin our study. Our Heavenly Father, we come thankful and grateful to you for another great privilege that we've been afforded to come here as your people for the purpose of studying your word. And as we do so both in here and in other areas throughout these facilities that you will be with each and every one that is here and that all things that are being presented will be done so in a truthful and concise manner and that we will be attentive to those things and as we receive those things that we'll take them and apply them to not only our own lives but perhaps to minister to others as we have the opportunity. We ask you to be with those that are not not here, whether it be due to illness or some other circumstance, but whatever it may be, that you watch over them and that they return to us as well. And just always watch over us and always care for us. And for this we ask, and in Christ's name, amen. All right, so Romans chapter 4, here in verses 1 through 12, we're going to be looking at this concept of Abraham and his works. And to really think about it, in the mind of a first century Jew, nobody is going to get their attention more than mentioning Abraham. We know that many of them took great pride in being the descendants of Abraham. And so to uh, strengthen this, Paul is going to use him as an example for what we should follow as well. Now, a good parallel to this is James chapter 2. James chapter 2, and we'll turn there for just a moment, and then we'll uh, begin to actually study Romans. But in James 2, James also speaks of the example of Abraham, as does the penman of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11. But the one thing that I really want to focus on here in James chapter 2 is in verses 14 through 26, James makes this argument and he simply says in verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And then you'll notice in verse 24, he says, You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. That right there is the only time in Scripture that you will see that term faith only. And in that context, it is used in the negative rather than the affirmative. Nowhere do the scriptures teach that we're saved by anything alone or only. But what we are going to see is all of these things coming together. 
So then when we get back to chapter 4, he asks a question, then shall we say that Abraham our father has found something to, has found according to the flesh. Well, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about works of merit, and he's going to speak of that in the negative. For if Abraham, verse 2, was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So in other words, Abraham, whom they held in such high regard and spoke of with such reverence, had he saved himself, then what purpose would there have been in God doing what he did? So we come to verse 3, the scripture that he references, he quotes, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him or accounted to him for righteousness. The passage... Uh, here that Paul is quoting comes from Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. When he says that Abraham believed God, he's speaking in the context of the promise of a son. The son through whom the covenant would be made, thus the birth of the Israelite Nation, And that, of course, was through Isaac. Chapter 12 of Genesis, you see Abram, Abram, then later Abraham, leaving his home and going wheresoever he was directed. Hebrews 11 tell us, tells us that he searched for that city whose builder and maker is God. So as we come, on, come along further here, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. There's a difference between something being promised versus something that might happen. And what we're seeing here in Romans chapter 4 is Abraham doing because he believed faith plus obedience. Make no mistake about it. There is obedience in this text. So to continue his line of argumentation, we come down to verse 5. And we see Paul making introduction of another highly respected and revered figure among the Jews, and that, of course, being David. Well, what did David say? Verse 6, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes or counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute or count sin. That comes from Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. So what is David saying there? David is showing 
the grace and the forgiveness of God in this passage. And so Paul has already, remember, he's already established that both Jew and Gentile are equally guilty of sin. So of necessity, what would follow that conclusion? Jew and Gentile can and will be saved in the same manner. If they have both sinned in the same manner, violation of the law, then they will be saved in the same manner. And that's what he is getting ready to show. A couple of other passages that I want to reference that I, I skipped over. I want to back up just a little bit in talking about the Jews' pride in uh, being descended from Abraham. A couple, uh, couple of passages, if we could get someone to read these for us, please. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 9. Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. And think not to say within yourself. All right, thank you, JT. So it's Matthew 3 and verse 9. And so in this context, this is John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, preaching to his fellow Jews and Israelites, and he's telling them to take, to take no pride in being descended from Abraham. He's telling them there's nothing special about who you're descended from. Uh, another passage that I have here, uh, John 8, John chapter 8 and verse 39. And if someone would be so kind as to volunteer to read that as well. The did you notice that? You would do the works of Abraham. What works did Abraham do? He obeyed Luther, and I'm sorry, JT, what did you say? Whatever God told him to do. And there's that component of belief. This wasn't blind obedience on the part of Abraham. This involved belief. So Jesus' point in John 8.39 is if you boast in being of Abraham, then do what Abraham did, believe and obey. And so again, it's really, really quite simple when you think about it. And again, I've said this before and I'll say it again. As I began to study and to prepare uh, for these presentations, I've come to the conclusion, and while I certainly do not have a perfect understanding of the book of Romans, and it's highly unlikely I ever will, I have realized that it's not quite as difficult and as confusing as people make it out to be. And so therein is the simplicity of it. Belief plus 
obedience. All right, now we come down to verse 9. Paul continues to build this. He asks this question, does this blessedness, that is the blessing spoken of by David in Psalm 32, then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. So he's established through David's citation of the Psalms that there is a blessing. Well, what is that blessing? Those who are forgiven of sin. And because of that forgiveness, God is not going to count those previous sins against us. Now what a beautiful and marvelous thought that is. So it's in that context that Paul asks this question. Well, if we're going to follow this to its conclusion, then the conclusion has to be, this question has to be answered it is for all. It is for Jew and for Gentile alike. And you've got to remember too the entirety of the Old Testament prophecies, Isaiah chapter 2, for example, there, Isaiah's beautiful prophecy that he said what? That all nations would flow unto it. Looking ahead to the establishment of the new covenant and the church. He goes on, uh, 10, how then was it accounted? Okay, well, this has been credited to Abraham. So how was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. The physical act of circumcision, it was a component of the law of Moses. You can see that, for example, uh, in Leviticus, when you get there to that giving of the law. But we see it preceded the law of Moses. But that was a sign of the covenant. It was not the covenant itself. Again, Abraham submitted to that because of his faith. Going back to what JT said a moment ago, doing whatever God told him to do. And it's really not any more complicated than that. So by bringing up circumcision, not only is Paul showing the example of Abraham where that began but he is also showing that under the new covenant, the system of faith as we may sometimes call it, that one did not have to submit to those works of the law of Moses to be saved. You can see that in Acts chapter 15 and see the book of Galatians. Paul wrote a whole letter to some churches about that. All right, so that's the point here. 
And he received, that Abraham, the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith. Notice that as a seal or as a sign. Well, with that, there was a promise. You go back, for example, much earlier in the book of Genesis, the end of the flood and the rainbow. What does that symbolize? That God will never again destroy the earth by water. It was a sign. Likewise, here with Abraham, the act of circumcision was also a sign. It was a sign of what? Of God's promise. Submitted to in faith. And notice Paul makes it a point not once but twice to show that, Ab- that this promise was given to Abraham before circumcision. For what purpose? Well, he's going to answer that question as well. That he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Notice he said to those who believe. Remember what Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3? That you are Abraham's seed, what? Through faith. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. The father of many nations... Uh, So, this, I imagine, for a Jewish convert in first century Rome, in an assembly of the church, hearing this read aloud, if that was their custom, which it probably was, I imagine this might be a little bit difficult to deal with. But nonetheless... It was something that needed to be said. All right, so Abraham is the father of all who believe. Not only to the Jew, but also to the Gentile. Acting in faith. All right. Uh, do we have any questions, comments here on uh, 1 through 12? All right. Before we move on, I want to, I want to back up uh, just a little bit again. The concept of circumcision that Paul discusses here in Romans 4... I would also give you for reference Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In that context, in writing to the Colossians, Paul is telling them, he speaks of circumcision, but he speaks of it as being inward rather than outward. And then he shows that it is through immersion or baptism. 
being buried, absolutely. So the point there being what? Acting in faith. All right, again, do we have any questions, comments on any of this? All right, we come on down to uh, verse 13. We're going to look at Abraham and his faith in more detail. All right, so he says in 13, For the promise that he, that is Abraham, will be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. There's the concept of faith again. Abraham lived and preceded the law of Moses, and he most certainly preceded the new covenant. He did not live under either. So what law is Paul talking about here in verse 13? Okay, absolutely, because notice he says that it did not come that this promise did not come through the law. Well, again, Abraham preceded the law of Moses by several hundred years. So he was never subject to that. But rather than by law, it came through faith. Faith with action. Again, every example that we see in the scripture or scriptures rather of someone's faith that belief is followed by action again Hebrews chapter 11 and you'll see there again that in every instance whether it's Abraham or any of the other great figures of the Old Testament that are spoken of they all did what God told them to do now keep in mind, they did not always do it perfectly. We see, you go back and read Genesis and you'll see, you'll see Abraham a few times doing some things that was not what God had in mind. Going into Hagar, for example, and having Ishmael, that wasn't what God said to do. Or telling Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister instead of his wife, not once but twice. And then we see Isaac doing it. But the point is that they were faithful in that they trusted in what God had promised. And the same goes for us. There is not one of us here that I, I know for a fact, not one of us here is without flaw. Now, if you are, please see me afterward. I would like to know what your secret is. But unless I'm told otherwise, I'm going to assume that we all have a flaw of some sort. But despite that, we're striving to be faithful. We're trusting 
and we're obeying. And that's exactly what Abraham did as well. So Paul goes on in 14, For if those who are of the law are heirs, law of Moses, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. So in other words, if all of this that was promised to Abraham and to his descendants through Isaac and Jacob, if that was all through the law rather than faith, then there would be no need for faith. Now let's think about that a moment. Sometimes it is hard to trust. If we're honest with ourselves, it is hard to trust. What we need to remember is that the one who made the promise is faithful. He has, he will, and he does keep his word. Notice 15, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Sin, again, 1 John chapter 3, is transgression of the law. So Paul's point here is that if there was no sin, there would be no reason for law. So why would you have law if there was no sin? That wouldn't make sense. There would be no need for it. 16, therefore, when you see a therefore, there's a conclusion coming. It is a faith. Well, what is the it? I contend that the it in verse 16 is speaking, is going back to the promise of verse 14. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace. What does Paul say, Titus chapter 2? That the grace of God has appeared to all men, what? Bringing salvation. Again, Paul doesn't say we're saved by grace. He says the grace is what brings salvation giving man the opportunity. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, and there it is, singular, not plural, singular, not only to those who are of the law, the law of Moses, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. And we're going to see this theme a little bit more throughout the book as well, especially when we get to chapters 9 through 11. Uh, you'll see a whole lot more of that. So again, how is Abraham the father of us all? He is our father in and through faith. As he believed and obeyed God, so too must we believe and obey God. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. So again, uh, Genesis chapter 17, 
Genesis chapter 17 and verse 5, uh, showing there that it is of a spiritual nature rather than that of physical and material. So here we go on. He says, in the presence of him whom he believed, that is Abraham, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, they're speaking to the power of God, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. And of course, when we think about it from a uh, material, physical standpoint, when they had Isaac, Abraham was 100 years old, Sarah was 90. Biologically speaking, that is many years past the childbearing years. So that sounds very strange to us. But God promised it, and so it happened. Again, the belief and the obedience. So shall your descendants be. Well, what shall your descendants be? Well, innumerable. You recall the, all the promises made, the land promise, the seed promise. And then we come to 19, and not being weak in faith, that is, though he was advanced in age, Abraham's faith was strong. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. That is, he was not held back or restrained by their physical ages, but rather looked to and hoped in the promises of God. He did not waver at the promise of God. There's a good example for us, unwavering faith. What did Paul tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Be therefore steadfast and unmovable. That's that idea, unwavering. Strong, convicted. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. God has not promised anything that he has not or will not deliver on. We see example after example after example of that throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament alike. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. What was accounted to him for righteousness? His works. His works of obedience that he did because he believed. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Well, for whose sake was it written? But also for us. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. 
Romans 15 and verse 4. So there is a great lesson for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was also delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So the whole point in all of this is to teach and to emphasize that we do as Abraham did. We believe and we obey. Because remember, it's faith rather than our lineage. It matters not one bit to whom we're related to. But what does matter is our faith. And that's something that we need to emphasize more. Uh, do we have any questions, comments on any of that in 13 through 25? Genesis chapter 22, the sacrificing of Isaac, you'll recall in that very text, what was Abraham's answer to Isaac's question about the sacrifice? God will provide. And so with all of that and the example of Paul there in the latter part of Acts, one thing that we would do well to remember, and I have to remind myself of this frequently, is that living by faith, it was never promised that it would be easy or that it would even make sense. It may not make sense sometimes, but we are promised that it's worth it. Let's remember that. It's not easy, but it's going to be worth it. In Hebrews chapter 11, 
Uh, all right, our time is almost up. We've got just a little bit, little bit of time left, uh, so just a little over five minutes. But I'm going to go ahead and uh, pause here. I've said, I believe, all that I have uh, prepared to say. But if anyone has any uh, follow-up, feel free to see me afterwards, and I would be more than happy to uh, continue the discussion. So I appreciate your kind attention and stay safe in this weather and Lord willing, we'll meet again Sunday.